Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. In this episode, Brian Strauss joins me to talk about the U.S. men's national team, our interviews with general manager Ernie Stewart and interim coach Dave Sarakin, and our take on the first week of the Nations Leagues in UEFA and CONCACAF. A quick reminder, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It helps people find us. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Brian, how are you, man? Um, not much going on here. It's rainy. Um, yeah, just hanging out, sitting on my couch. It's rainy here in New York as well. It has been for the last couple of days. I am coming to you from a new location today. I joined a WeWork facility two doors down from where I live in New York, and I'm saving an hour of my commute, not having to go down and back to the Sports Illustrated office. Um, and I feel like I'm contributing to businesses in my neighborhood. I, I've thought actually on occasion about getting in my car and driving the four and a half hours to the Sports Illustrated office. <laughs> just because... Only because a nine-hour commute. <laughs> well, because A, I never talk to other human beings. You're the first person <laughs> I've talked to in three days. <laughs> And second, because there's all the pretzels and M&Ms. True. I mean, you could take, yeah, you could take like a big thermos. You could take a bathtub and fill it with sourdough pretzel nibs and M&Ms and just eat yourself to death. And so I've actually, there are, there are occasions where, where, you know, I've, I'm sitting here alone in the dark and I haven't talked to anyone in days and I've eaten nothing but stale pita bread and I've thought about making this drive. Um, and, and, but you're, but you have awesome stuff right on your block. You've got that deli we went to that one time. Yeah. You've got pizza place you don't like. You've got the donut place around the corner we went to. So that's a cool place to hang out. And it's also like we were saying before, I mean, it's, it's like your world cup kind of redux, right? It's like, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be more efficient and more, and there's going to be more ass kicking now because you, you, you are, you are cutting out extraneous distractions. I'm hyper-local. I don't mess around in traffic these days. Um, let's talk soccer, man. U.S. Men's National Team 0, Brazil 2. Uh, I Brazil covered Men's th- National Team. The Brazil Men's na- U.S. Men's National Team, Brazil Men's National Team. I could do that. I understand your point. Um, if, feel free to go on your rant about the Fox broadcasters saying U.S. Men's National Team all the time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> and the Kentucky men's basketball team is bringing it up the floor. And the Louisville men's, bas- Louisville men's basketball team just committed a foul. Sorry. Let me say this, Brian, is that don't you think it's a good thing that women's soccer, maybe more than in most other countries, is seen as equal with the men's team in I, terms I of how think... it's treated in the U.S.? And that's why yes. we have to di- differentiate. Wait, you, do you have to differentiate every single time you mention the team? No. Okay. And is it not clear from watching the broadcast that we're watching men? And this is the same as my Team USA rant. How come it's Team USA, but it's not Team China? How come it's not, how come it's not Team Duke or Team Chicago? So the U.S. beat Team Brazil. Yeah. Sorry, lost to Team Brazil. Yeah, I'm all confused. Uh, 2 nothing on Friday night um, before a somewhat sparse crowd in MetLife Stadium. 32,000 some, I think, was the announced crowd. Uh, the last time... I want to talk about that, too. The last time these two teams played in the same stadium, I think, was in 2010, right after the World Cup, and yep. that was like 77,000. Um, 
Do you want to get into the discussion about ticket pricing right now? Or do you want to wait? I don't care. Well, let's let's get into it a second because clearly ticket pricing had an impact here and U.S. soccer is trying to make as much money as possible. And I talked to people last week here in New York who were saying it's like a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, is that worth it for a friendly when you're granted you're seeing Neymar and Coutinho and Firmino and those guys and the U.S., but they weren't exactly playing at World Cup level speed, it seemed like. I mean, is it worth it? That's a subjective question, right? I mean, 32,000 people thought it was worth it. And getting 32,000 people to come to something is impressive. That's 32,000 people. Um, and I'm not defending U.S. soccer's ticketing prices. I'm just saying that, I mean, it was sparse because they played it in a 70,000-seat stadium. They still had a crowd of 32,000. But you make a good point when you can compare it to the 2010 uh, 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 game, which also, if I recall, was the first game after the World Cup run in South Africa. Yes. So, you, so you had the Donovan goal, the, the the Algeria win, the drama of the overtime loss to Ghana. You had some good feelings about the team. Um, so so there there was there was a far different mood around the national team that was more likely to pry people from their money uh, than there is right now. So I think that's a factor too. Um, so people want, and and this is not a, again not a defense, but but people want the U.S. to develop. Right. They want U.S. soccer to develop and they probably agree that playing better competition is one of the ways you develop. Right. Get, having having Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney uh, go up against Brazil, go up against Casemiro is, is better for them than going up against, you know, Guatemala's B team or whoever would be cheaper to bring. So to bring Brazil and to bring Brazil's A team to a friendly costs millions of dollars. Correct. You know, the appearance, P, the appearance fee alone is millions of dollars. And then you've got to pay the logistics and the flights and the hotels and the transport and the training. I mean, it's millions of dollars that they're laying out. So everything people want U.S. soccer to do, right, from bringing in the best opponents to, to, to funding coaching education, to funding player scholarships, to, to doing all the things, costs millions of dollars. So if U.S. soccer turns around and says, okay, if you want us to play Brazil, that's great. And I'm not saying this is happening. This is just sort of a thought experiment. But if you want us to play Brazil and, and you think that'll make our team better, that's great. But it's going to cost you 60 bucks to get in the door because it's not Jamaica. Then that's what it costs. Um, at the same time, there is this surplus, right? This $110 million, right? Whatever it is that came out of the financials right. uh, surplus that's kind of sitting out there. Should, should some of that be used to pay for Brazil to come? Um, so tickets can be $25 instead of 50. That's politics. I mean, that's a, that's a debate that can be had. But the, the, the upshot of all of this is that all the things people want U.S. soccer to do costs a shit ton of money. And so they have obviously done the math and decided that the way to make some of that money back is through higher prices. There's that slide from their AGM, not their AGM, I'm, uh, the, the board meeting, forgive me, the board meeting. Um, that I posted in December. They met uh, at around MLS Cup or the day after MLS Cup in Toronto. And they posted a slide about uh, attendance and ticket prices and revenue from the World Cup qualifying cycles dating back to 1998. And in 1998, the average World Cup qualifier ticket price was $19.81 hmm. and the total revenue from the cycle was $2.4 million. Mm -hmm. 
for this cycle, 2018, the average ticket price was $97. Wow. And the total revenue was 17.6 million from 2.4 million in 90, 20 years earlier. So what is that, seven times, eight times? So the, the math checks out on some level. And then of course people argue that you're trying, that, that that's a short-term fix, right? The long-term fix is bringing fans in, uh, bringing kids into the stadium, having them intoxicated by the atmosphere, figuring out ways to fill those seats, and then you create lifelong fans, lifelong customers. That makes a lot of sense because seeing the stadium half full was not an impressive sight. It's a really, really complicated issue. That's my only point. Yeah, I understand you got to make money. You got to pay for Brazil to come. I also think that you are really limiting it to the people who can afford this type of thing, which isn't always the new fan you're trying to bring in. I just feel like there's this trend right now, whether it's that or with the pay packages for watching soccer behind a paywall that I don't think we're far along enough in the advancement of soccer in America that you only want to cater to the hardcore fan who's already a fan who's willing to pay that price. And you're basically saying to people who are just getting into it or might get into it down the road, you're going to have to pay money for this. Well, maybe they won't, you know? Um, I don't know. I I think it's a a growing issue. Um, Certainly exposing, certainly certainly the the, the inability... Or, or the, the 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 complications it creates, exposing new fans to the game, bringing new fans to the game, which the sport still needs, uh, introducing fans to the new players on the national team, all that sort of stuff. Um, at the same time, had they played at a forty thousand seat stadium or a thirty five thirty thousand, I don't know what that would have been. Um, it would have looked far different. So it, it it's complex. Um, and then, and then again, there's the issue of the surplus. There's the issue of, of where that money is, uh, I guess it's invested, um, what that money should be spent on. You know, I had, I had interesting conversation, um, uh, some conversations this week I'll wind up writing about, about, about sort of this, this issue of, of how that money, uh, you know, should be targeted, where that money comes from, whose responsibility it is to pay for coaching license, coaching education, player scholarships. And if people want the federation uh, to, to, to be the one that, that funds that stuff, the Federation's going to need a lot more money than it has. Uh, by the way, we're recording this on Monday morning, coming out Tuesday morning, ahead of Tuesday night's U.S. men's national team friendly against Mexico's men's national men's team. national team, correct. Um, so we aren't going to be discussing that, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the game itself against Brazil. Uh, 11th minute goal by Roberto Firmino off a very nice cross uh, from Douglas Costa right after he smoked Anthony Robinson. Um, And also Firmino wide open because Miazga lost him. Um, But then, you know, I I still feel like at that point, you're starting to say to yourself, wow, this could be five nothing, which is kind of how I felt going into the France friendly. Wow, they could get smacked. This friendly right before the World Cup ends up being one one in France. This ends up being two nothing. The second goal I thought a dubious penalty on wheel trap right before halftime, but it didn't get ugly in this game. And, you know, the U S fought, they created a couple of chances, mostly offset pieces in the second half. And I guess you could say this was, uh, another pebble of experience, uh, in this stretch of games for a group of young players. Yeah. I mean, for, for a team, 
for a t- for a team featuring eleven starters, none of whom would start for the opposition. <laughs> Right, I mean, right, if you, were, right, right. if you were to pick a best eleven from that starting eleven, every single one of them would would have been wearing yellow. For that team to keep it to two nothing, and for that team to not lose their shit, um, for that, to, and again, I mean, I'm not making I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that you know, Dave Dave Sarakin has wanted to build a sort of a competitive foundation and 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 and, and something you know, stuff about approach and 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 commitment um, and chemistry. And yeah, I like the way you describe it, a pebble in the foundation. They, they stayed in this game. They've been competitive in every single one of the games they've been in. They've had a reason to play and a reason to fight, you know, up until the 90th minute. And, and that, that matters when you're building something long term. Maybe it doesn't please you if you paid $100 to sit there that night. Um, but it's something the players will walk away from. You know, hope, you know, Anthony Robinson won't take that angle of attack on a player like Douglas Costa again, right? So there's something, there's something that he can take away from it. Um, obviously, not having Pulisic, not having any sort of uh, creative or possession sort of establishing force in the middle of the field has been a problem. You know, you know, we've seen this triangle of Will Trap, uh, uh, Weston McKinney, and Tyler Adams sort of develop in center midfield. It's obviously lacking um, a, a player with Pulisic's technical ability it could really use that but absent that they've gone with what they've had and they've been competitive and you know that's kind of all you can ask for at this point from a from an interim coach and a really young team yeah Pulisic has barely played for the national team in the last year Uh, I found it interesting this week I was Galarza with a story citing sources inside U.S. soccer that there's frustration on their part uh, about how little Pulisic has been around and available over the past year. I don't think you can complain at all about him being injured. He missed a game with Dortmund heading into this window. I mean, the guy's hurt. But I do think overall, from my own talking with some U.S. soccer people after or this past week, there there is some frustration there. Um, and I don't know if it's tied to what we heard from Jeff Cameron at one point in the New York Times a few months ago saying there was a divide between the European-based U.S. players and the domestic-based U.S. players. It is very clear from anyone who observes things that uh, Pulisic has gravitated uh, on the national team to guys like Cameron uh, and in some of the European guys in terms of who he sort of hangs out with and, and when he's with the national team, or at least in the past. But he's also t- he's also tight with McKinney, and McKinney couldn't be more committed, uh, you know, more easy to get along with. Um, you know, he's he's been great so far. So true. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think Pulisic. It's one of those deals where you know he'll have played he'll have played eighty nine minutes for the national team over the course of a calendar year. And I tweeted that out, and of course I got a ton of, you know, it doesn't matter, it's just friendlies, you don't know anything about soccer, you know, all that bullshit. Um, but you're trying to build something, you're trying to build, again, the foundation for something, you're trying to build relationships, you're trying to establish a new culture. And, and Sarakin said one of the reasons he hasn't called in some of the, the veteran leaders is because he wants, he wants to give the young players time to establish their own culture and to establish their own leadership. And so Pulisic has missed that. And maybe you maybe you want to grunt out on Twitter that that doesn't matter. And that's fine. That's your opinion. Um, but but, you know, if you if you are starting something from scratch and you're you're getting this slow burn developing, 
I can see why you might want your best player involved. I think the interesting thing is that each of Polisic's absences in a, in a in a vacuum is understandable, right? right. Uh, right. You know, we, we they didn't need to call him back for the Portugal game a month after Trinidad. You know, get him time with Dortmund. He's had a long season. He's injured. I mean, e- each one of them by itself in isolation is understandable. But now, in total, in sum, we have 89 minutes over a calendar year. And that's not nearly enough. That, that, that doesn't happen anywhere in the world, that a player of his stature um, you know, misses so much time uh, with the national team. So regardless of when it is in the cycle. So um, what was I going to say? Uh, I think another issue... Um, you know, obviously we don't know who Ivis spoke to, um, but Sarakin was on the record with me before the games, not only saying, you know, that we'd like to have Christian Moore, but that his attitude wasn't great when he was in with Bolivia and, right. and Sarakin went on the record saying that, you know, we, we needed, we needed more from him. Yes. He'd had a long season. Yes. He'd been tired. You know, yes. You know, that's the reason we agreed to kind of let him go after the Bolivia game. But during the time he was here for that game. There wasn't there wasn't enough there from him, and Sarakin was very pointed about that. So it, it may not be only frustration with his absence, but obviously in the one time he was in, he didn't make the best of impressions. Right. Um, speaking of Sarakin, you had a, a long interview with him. Wrote about it last week on SI.com, which I suggest everyone reads. Um, I being around myself the team last week, I feel like Sarakin is done a solid job in a really tough situation uh, for this long. Um, someone suggested that maybe he might have a shot at the Olympic team job to me last week. Do you think that's, that's possible? Sure. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of all you can say at this point, but yeah. I, mean, uh, I, would, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't, you know, set fire to shit if that happened. I mean, that's okay. But um, I also, he is essentially coaching the Olympic team now. <laughs> this is true. I mean, <laughs> he's got kids on his team who can't buy a beer. So, I mean, yeah. But Ernie Stewart sat down uh, with reporters for a roundtable conversation the day before were you the, the game. Were you the only one in the roundtable who was not writing for The Athletic? <laughs> why like, I'm, why I'm joining The Athletic? Are we it? Are we, we're, we're it, right? Like we're the only ones who have not, who have not. No, there was actually, there was actually a group of probably about 15 to 18 uh, writers mostly uh, at that round table. Uh, All but one of them were dudes, Rachel Bachman, uh, the only exception from the Washington or Wall Street Journal, um, which I'm still troubled by. I think we need more women in our business, but anyway, I digress. Um, and Ernie Stewart spoke, you know, probably for about forty-five minutes. Took questions about his job as the general manager. He took over August first, and he's in charge of hiring, choosing who's going to be the next head coach. Um, and I certainly understand from his perspective why he hasn't made that decision yet. He just started August first. I do have a, an issue with how U.S. Soccer dragged its feet in getting the position filled. I think they could have filled it a lot sooner. We talked about it this also, last week. Yeah, it also and it also seems strange to me that part of his interview wouldn't have been like I, I guess I mean, and this is why I didn't get the job. I'm not not that interview, but if I if I was interviewing for that job, I would have said, "Here's how I'm calling on day one," 
like I would have done research on my own and I would have said, or, you know, on week one, here, here are five guys that I want to talk to right off the bat. And just, just in case they move on, just in case we lose them to, to, you know, Paraguay or, <laughs> or Iran or whomever. Right. I mean, and, and I'm not saying Osorio should have been it. I I'm, I would not, I, I probably would, would vote thumbs down on Osorio if given the option. But the point is, is that this delay, for lack of a better word, may have cost them the opportunity at a couple of candidates. And so, yeah, it has taken a long time. I, I just find it frustrating. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think part of the reason for the delay in hiring a GM was because U.S. soccer, as they first defined it, didn't give the position any power. And so the first several people they approached with MLS GM jobs were like, why would I leave my MLS job for this one? And didn't take it. Well, and, and does Stewart, and and I guess we're still not sure what kind of power Stewart has, right? I mean, is Stewart, I'm still not certain whether Stewart picks someone and says, this is the guy, and that's that's enough to ensure that that his choice gets the job? Yes, it or, is. T- let me answer that question for you. Okay. Yeah, yes. So, because that there's like contract negotiation. I mean, Stewart, Stewart doesn't control the money, right? I mean, or, does, or has he been given a budget to spend? I mean, I just... Go ahead. There's a lot that's unanswered still, and, and Stuart right. was vague in, on several aspects of that last week. But there were a few things to take out of it from what he said. Mm-hmm. Put it this way. He recommends, after this process, a head coach, and the U.S. Soccer Board of Directors has to approve it. If they don't approve it, then he might as well just resign, right? Right. Like, why? <laughs> What's the point? Right. So, I mean, 99.999% chance that the head coach Ernie Stewart recommends the board of directors approves. Yeah, I'm I'm more, I'm more concerned about the financial issues and that 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 was I guess more well, I mean what if what if what if he recommends a coach that costs 5 million dollars a year and and Dan Flynn or the financial people are just like no effing way, not happening. No, I get it. And I also think this is part of the issue and why other people turn down the GM job is because you don't have full control of the budget of what you're doing. You don't even have control over the youth side, including hiring the Olympic coach, the under 23 coach. Um, But I do think Ernie Stewart clearly wants to be heavily involved on a day-to-day basis and not just before he makes the hire of the head coach. Because one thing we talked about was how He's going to be living in Chicago. The national team coaches from now on are going to be required to live in Chicago, which is interesting to me. And I think it might limit uh, the ability to hire some superstar coaches. Um, but Stewart's like, look, I want to be seeing these guys on a very regular basis and be a big part of the day-to-day with the guys head coach and his Guys staff. wouldn't want to live in Chicago? Chicago's a nice city, but Chicago's Jur- awesome. Jurgen Klinsmann never would have wanted to live in Chicago. He would have refused. Well, maybe this rule should have been in place <laughs> back then, huh? <laughs> but it's, uh, it's not like it's not like Chicago is like Nunavut, you know. I mean, it's great. <laughs> in the winter, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess what I would say is, it was interesting to me how Stewart sees the job. Like he's hardcore, man. I'm, I'm a little worried about how how hardcore he is his wife and kids moved back to holland from philadelphia instead of joining him in in chicago and so he's just going to be grinding away it sounds like um and he also talked about 
I, I was the one who asked him the question, is it a requirement that the head coach speak English? And he said, yes, and was not uh, compromising an inch on that. So I assume that means Jose Peckerman is not a candidate for the job. <laughs> I would think the way Jose Peckerman has gone out of the World Cups he's coached in should make him not a candidate for the job. But, <laughs> but also potentially Tata Martino, who, while he can speak some English, prefers not to. Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't have to be like speak English is is a pretty broad like it like you don't have to be Walt Whitman or Shakespeare, you know. I mean, I I would hope that Ernie <laughs> Stewart, I would hope that Ernie Stewart would accept the guy who, who like Tata, right? Who's learning, who's taking a stab, who will do his best. That, that should be, I mean, you need to be able to communicate in this job. I agree with that. I mean, there has to be, there has to be some ability to communicate in English, but again, it, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be the poet laureate. Um, I, th there were a couple things and I don't have the quotes in front of me, but there were a couple things that I saw him say that were just slightly concerning. They were, they were really buzzwordy and and i would i would have thought that someone of stewart's um i was just surprised to hear that come from him i mean he, he like said on the, he said I, again i i'm this is off the top of my head and i don't have it in front of me but but when he was speaking with fox during the game and i maybe maybe he said it in your round table as well he said things like what i'm you know what i'm really looking forward for is a coach who adopts american principles of play we're aggressive we're in your face just like stuff that made no sense and meant nothing, and that <laughs> that that made, reminded me of Jurgen again. Um, and I'm just like, I don't know what any of this means. And you know, it I it just concerned me that that it was it was veneer and spin and nonsense. And I would like to, I would hope he's saying that for the benefit of the cameras, and that's not really like. When he's going to do a coaching interview, he's not going to say, but are you going to, are you going to play in your face soccer, you know, <laughs> to like a guy with like a UEFA A license. Anyway, I, I was, that was just a little weird and made to squirm a little bit. Well, actually he did say those exact same things uh, in the round table. What does and, that mean, man? So, okay. Here's how I took it was uh -huh. that, and this is interesting because I don't think Greg Burhalter is necessarily known for playing a pressing style, right? And so I that's took what it, it means. It I, means pressing. He just Ernie wouldn't go. He wouldn't go into any more detail, which was frustratingly vague. And he even said, "I I've spent the last month talking to twelve to twenty people uh, in you know, stakeholders in the U.S. soccer landscape, and you know, getting their sense of things. And I've also put that with my thoughts about what I'm looking for in terms of principles of play. And yes, he used the words aggressive and in your face as describing uh, American style. Now, what, is, what does unaggressive soccer look like? <laughs> Can, I would like, I would say I, Ernie, like we just watched the World Cup. Which of the teams at the world, Saudi Arabia? I, like, I'm just trying to figure out what... <laughs> It's word salad. <laughs> I guess what I would say, Brian, is if you're being a bit more charitable, it's not sitting back. Okay. That it, I, I sort of took it and part of the problem was Stuart was like, I'm not going to go into more detail on this right now because I want to talk about it with our coach in detail first. I'm like, oh, so why are we doing this? Um, and did France, did France sit back on its way to winning the World Cup easily? They did counter a bit. So was that sitting back? Uh, my my takeaway was that 
this could mean pressing. And that actually adds a real interesting wrinkle to me because every, so many people think Greg Berhalter is going to get this job. But if it's if Ernie Stewart's actually looking for some a coach who, whose team's press, that more accurately describes Jesse Marsh, that more accurately describes Peter Vermees. Right? It, it does. So, But Greg also may be coaching what he has in Columbus, although I guess he's been there long enough to 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 also he's also the one who picks what he has he's he he's buying the ingredients and cooking the meal um so but we we haven't seen greg you know with a completely different cast of players with a different sort of club with a different sort of uh you know salary budget to mess around with it's not like they're bringing in you know javinkos and whatnot um but yes agreed 100 percent. and if that's what and if that's what ernie's word salad means that i want a coach who's gonna press you know and 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 Jurgen Klopp's not available then 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 yeah then go after it. but then just say that just say just say we have we, we have extraordinarily fit athletes and 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 since we don't have right now the sort of the the technical acumen uh throughout the player pool uh to play like you know to 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 play some tiki taka um we're going to try to you know win the ball higher up the field um because because we're not going to be building out of the back anytime soon and that's our plan, and that's what I'm going to be looking for. Then that's great. Then that's a philosophy, and say that. Um, in your face sounds like an energy drink commercial. <laughs> it sounds like the season motto for MLS, like back in 1998 or something. Oh yeah, DC United. Well, God, every year DC United would have, you know, <laughs> like the, the like the the media guide would say, like it takes more on it. Oh God, or one nation, one team slogan, one. I think, uh, I think, I think, was it Michael LaHood? I think over the weekend he was playing with Sierra Leone. I may have all of this wrong, but, but anyway, like had a team photo and said, and then the team photo said like one team, one nation. I'm like, wait a second. That applies to every national team, doesn't it? It does. It does. Um, Trying to think if there's anything else U.S. men's national team related to talk about. Uh, I, here's a question for you. The UEFA Nations League started this past week, and there's a CONCACAF Nations League that has just started as well, and the U.S. will get involved exactly a year from now. And it does take some time, Google UEFA Nations League or CONCACAF Nations League, to actually see what it means. But I kind of like it so far in Europe when you see teams of, of relative similar strengths playing each other in a competitive game where it's not six substitutions and these are official games and there's like groups of three and they're going to do home and home and you know Spain to England one that was a good game that felt more intense than a friendly same yeah. thing for France to Netherlands one yeah that was a good game I watched some of that if you haven't seen the, the stadium wide serenade to N'Golo Conte that, occurred <laughs> that was great you must watch this. Go find it on Twitter. I like it too. And, I, and I'm sort of like, one of the things I keep seeing in stories written about it is like, oh man, you need a, you know, you need, you need to be Stephen Hawking to figure that. No, you don't. It's really <laughs> not. Really, yeah, you really don't. It's, you really don't. It's not that complicated at all. Um, and what's cool about it, the only, the only, the only potential downside is, uh, except for, you know, in addition to countries like us, who now miss out on potential games in Europe because they have these games scheduled. 
um, although we won't in November, obviously, um, is, is that I can see how if you are, you know, with a competitive aspect, sometimes you want those games where you can bring in new players, right? I mean, it, it, it may make it harder to introduce new blood into a national team um, because there's now less margin for error. If you do poorly in this nation's league, you get relegated, and all of a sudden, instead of your, your, your friendlies being against France and Germany, your friendlies are against Finland and Armenia, right? And you're not going to make nearly as much money on those. So I, I, I can see why a coach now might be struggling a bit more with, okay, now's the time to throw this 19-year-old on the field and see how he does. Um, but otherwise, otherwise, yeah, it's cool. I enjoyed watching the games. It's cool that there's a competitive aspect to it. It's neat that each of the four nations leagues um, in Europe gets a bid to the European Championship. So that means that Finland or Armenia or a team like that will be able to use the Nations League as a way to qualify uh, for the Euro, which is great. Um, it opens it up a little bit. I just don't think any of those elements exist in CONCACAF. We just don't have, we don't have the, the depth of quality. We don't have the diversity in teams. Um, you know, you and I and, every, and all of us, fans, media, you know, we've all watched, we've all seen how many U.S. Trinidad games and how many U.S. Honduras games and how many U.S. you know Jamaica pick your team? It's just over and over and over. And so I just, it, I guess, it remains to be seen what there, what kind of benefit or excitement or intrigue there will be for the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica in this in this uh, in this competition. But I can see why it's helpful for. I mean, Canada scored eight goals over the weekend against some island. Canada hasn't scored eight goals in a decade, you know? Like, I had to feel really good. Like, Canada must have, that must have just been cathartic. Because, right, I mean, they, every couple every couple gold cups, they'll show up and take two shots, right? So, like, they scored eight goals in one game. So they must be pumped. Um, so it's good, for the, it's good for the smaller countries, for the up-and-coming countries. Um, I can see why France and Germany and, and Spain thought, thought, you know, I'm sure the Spanish players, except for Sergio Ramos, uh, liked going to Wembley. Um, but I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it's, what good it's going to do us in Mexico and stuff like that. So I will respond with a couple of things. One, did you see our man Inspector Pavard get like cleated across the neck? Yeah. By uh, someone on Germany. I can't remember who, uh, uh, Rudiger, Rudiger. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, um, yeah, that's why they wouldn't let us wear spikes and, 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 and when we were coming up. I just wanted to say Inspector Pavard, but uh, then uh, in terms of <laughs> responding to your point about CONCACAF Nations League, I don't know, man. Like when the U.S. gets involved a year from now, there's going to be four Nations League games, right? Uh, I think something like that. Or I'm pretty sure that's the case. Three team groups. There are some groups of three. There are some leagues. There are some tiers that have groups of three and there are some tiers that have groups of four. Right. But um, I think ours will have, uh, I'm double checking right now. Um, yeah, ours, ours will be groups of three. And so we're going to have, um, some friendly still. Yeah. You know, so you can still have some high profile friendlies. You can, then you have the nation's league games. And I still think if you have a game at Jamaica or at Honduras that matters, um, I think that there's something, there's value in that. It's not just a waste of time. In fact, there may be more value than that friendly against Brazil the other night. I mean, certainly, 
certainly if yeah i can see how that would be the case i mean let's say you get to a you get to a caribbean island and the field is wet instead of how going into hysterics and 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 sort of making jokes about it and then fielding maybe the same 11 on the wet heavy field that you did <laughs> 4 days earlier maybe that experience will teach you you know we should take this a bit more seriously we should maybe put some fresh legs on the field and we learn you know we should maybe not play an empty midfield you know in a game that that's going to stress long and high passes because of the turf or the condition of the field and we learned that from our nations league game in martinique <laughs> maybe so yeah maybe oh boy um i'll never get over it yeah that's 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 totally reasonable i get it um yeah. All right, man. Let's call it a day. Uh, good to talk to you. Let's do it again next week. Right, I'm glad you didn't get ousted from your, your WeWork cocoon. The window's fogged up, though. It's really hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. It's really hot. I'm sweating. We're back to, we're back to being in immense physical discomfort <laughs> while recording podcasts. Oh, I missed that. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available on SI.TV, Amazon Networks, and Fubo TV. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.